Well, good morning. I didn't know if anybody would be back this morning, but I'm glad you did. It's good to be here. Thankful to be here. Thankful for Brother Mike and Tara and their family. And of course, uh, uh, I've had the privilege of having two of the Bronson boys on my staff, and uh, I've survived it. Uh, but we had Brother Mike with us. Brother Mike came to Concord at a very uh, unique time. I'd had an associate pastor that was killed in an automobile accident. Uh, he had only been with us a short time, and we were... Isn't it interesting? It's like I said last night, there's sometimes we want to ask God why. He was a young guy with what we thought was a great future, and actually we didn't know how great his future was uh, because suddenly the Lord took him home. And then we had a guy named Fred Powell. I don't know if any of you ever knew Brother Fred, but Brother Fred Powell was a great guy. He pastored over in Excelsior Springs, Missouri for quite a while, and uh, then he had been the associate pastor, the chief associate pastor at First Baptist Church of Atlanta. They used to have a little guy down there named, uh, let's see, what was that guy's name? Charles Stanley. And so Brother Fred had reached a point where he'd retired, and I called Brother Fred, and I said, can you come and help us? That, that was the year I was president of the Missouri Baptist Convention. And so we'd lost our associate. We just had a lot of needs and a lot more on my plate. And so Brother Fred came in for about 11 months and just gloriously encouraged me and helped me. And he was a great administrator. And then after he left, we got Mike. That's where we were. So I could, there's stories about that I could tell you, but... But one in particular, we'd been to a conference and been uh, like gone to this church and they were going to try to help us because we were growing, the church was growing and those days were good and it was all fine. And, and we asked the question, now, now you got to put it in the context, this would have been 2004 maybe and five. And so we, we asked the question of this guy, I mean like just a question like, okay, do you all still send out a newsletter? And he was like, I just don't kind of like, I don't really believe you'd ask a question like that. I mean, nobody sends out, anybody that's doing anything doesn't send out a paper newsletter. You don't do that. Okay. We're driving up the road, headed back to Jefferson City, and I forget what the cow of the conversation went, and I said, well, I don't know, but Goober, you're still sending out a paper newsletter. So it's kind of been Gomer and Goober ever since then. Several years ago, um, I had an old retired surgeon come in to talk to me, and he said, Brother Monty, I think we need to start a TV ministry. And it's like, I, I can't start a TV ministry. That's not something we can do. We don't have the money. I mean, Concord at that time, we were not a very large church. We don't have the money to do that. And he was sort of like, well, you know what? I, I've kind of done some research on this, and, and I believe that we can get... Uh, all the equipment we need for about $200,000. And, okay, and uh, his last name was Sugarbaker, but he always referred to his wife as Mrs. Sugarbaker. And he said, I, I talked to Mrs. Sugarbaker, and uh, we can do that. Whoa, $200,000. Now, by the way, you have to still run this past a Baptist church, and some people vote against it. You know, talking about looking a gift horse in the mouth, some people still vote against it. And it's like, yeah, but Dr. Sugarbaker, even if we have the, the equipment, uh, we don't know what we're doing, and we can't, you know, we got to buy airtime. And he said, well, he said, I have, uh, 
I have uh, checked in with uh, the local television station, and, and he said, I believe we can, we can do what we need to do for about $100,000, and I've talked to Mr. Sugarbaker, and we can do that. We'll do that. So it's kind of like that. So that was kind of uh, how we started. Uh, with We needed a name, you know, and so the, the lots of names were suggested. We kind of had to name this TV program. <laughs> this is not a joke. This really happened. And uh, I'm not, this is not a preacher story. This is true. And so I was, uh, you know, and we were looking at names. What are we going to, it's like, well, Aaron, our son Aaron said, well, Dad, uh, you know, Dr. Stanley, he's got in touch. You could be out of touch, <laughs> out of touch with Monty Schenkel. All kinds of suggestions like that. But we settled in on take heart because we, we like the simplicity of the ministry, of the, of the name, and that's what we really want to do. Is to, and, and that's always been what I've wanted to do. I've wanted to tell people that God, they can take heart because Jesus really does care for them. And I would say the same thing to you. You know, no matter what we're preaching, no matter how deep into the Old Testament minor prophets we are going, the bottom line is still that Jesus takes care. He, you can take heart because He cares for you. And that is, that is so true. So the Lord launched that thing, and it went real well. And so after, um, I don't know, another 20 years or so, the time comes. No, it wasn't more like 25 years. We, we'd been on, not just on TV, but... We'd kind of shifted a good deal of what we were doing to radio. We were on Bot Radio Network in that central Missouri market, and we were doing that um, and doing a lot of radio ads and things like that to encourage people that they could take heart. So when time came for me to step aside at Concord, I don't really want to say retired, but I stepped aside at Concord. I had some very good men that said, what are you going to do with all of this stuff that you've done to all the, all the, the material and all the volume of recordings and everything that you've done through the years? What are you going to do with that? And the church very graciously uh, gave me Take Heart Ministry, that name that the church had used for its outreach ministry for a long time, they gave it to us, and we set up our board, and we founded a, a, a 501c3, and we did all that. So what we've done is we've been buying radio times and doing like two-minute bits or, or 60-second bits of Take Heart that we pulled out of messages and then, so I began to write a blog, we got a website, we got a Facebook page. This is a low-budget operation, except as you all know, and some of you really know, um, radio time is not cheap. Uh, buying advertising, which is basically what we're doing, is not cheap. But the amazing thing through all of it is that God has provided all along the way. And what we said was that we're not going to beg for money or ask for money, really. I mean, like, yeah, we come close, but we're not begging for money. But what we basically say is as much as God provides, however much God provides, that will be our footprint. We're not going to try to outpunt our coverage. We're just, whatever God provides, that's what we're going to do. So I don't get any salary out of it. Our world headquarters is my barn. And so we had somebody that gave us all the equipment we need to begin to do a podcast, which we've not really begun to do, although we do have. And I want to encourage you to go to Spotify or Google or any place that there's, you can get a podcast. You can find Take Heart Ministries. And there's, out in the foyer, there's some bookmarks. Um, 
I don't know why we made, we made them out of paper, Mike. You have paper bookmarks. But anyway, take heart ministries. And so I think we have dropped, that's a big word. That's a good word. Isn't that cool? Uh, we have dropped nine podcasts, which are basically things that, that I have preached through the years. And so you say, well, I don't want to listen to that. That's quite all right. But it goes back to, I did a series of sermons a few years ago on the days of Elijah, which I found to be very, very current to the day in which we're living right now. So these are the days of Elijah. And it was kind of based on that. And so, and then now we've done some things on how to know and do the will of God, discerning what God would lead us to do. And so we've got some plans with that. And eventually, we'll begin to do some, some interviews and, and kind of have what you think of more to podcast. But right now, all we're doing is just, we're just dropping sermons, things I've preached through the years. Same things I've preached recently, in fact, because I've been doing the uh, interim down at Eldon. Well, that's enough of that. You all understand? If you've got any questions about that, you can ask me. Uh, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking for likes. And uh, I'm asking for you to go on there and listen. And so right now we've been doing this about two months. There's a young man that's a deacon at Concord that does all of the podcasting and production work for the Missouri Department of Conservation. He's really busy deer season right now. But he is doing all of that work for us. And another lady is doing our... Uh, our Facebook, well, she's doing our website and all of that. And those folks have just stepped in and helped us, and I appreciate it. Now, take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 4. What I'm doing this morning is a very familiar passage of Scripture. But I want to take a little different spin on it. Dr. Adrian Rogers, years ago, when he was talking to a bunch of us young preachers, and he said, uh, he said, how do you put together a sermon? And he said there were four ingredients in every sermon that he preached. Now, to my, in my estimation, my humble but accurate opinion, Dr. Adrian Rogers was the preacher of my generation. And so I, I listened to what he had to say, and he said in every sermon... He has four things that he does. Hey, you, look, do. Hey is getting their attention. You is this passage, of, and if you listen to Dr. Rogers, you'll see this. This passage has something to say to you. Look what the Word says. Now go do something about it. Hey, you look do. That's also, those of you that are teaching, that's a pretty good way to put together a Sunday school lesson. So in this particular passage of Scripture, John chapter 2, you have Jesus turning water into wine. John chapter 3, you have a meeting with a man named Nicodemus. And... John chapter 4, you have a woman at the well. I want you to look with me, and we're going to read several verses, and then I'm just going to like, this is what the Word says. But the spin I want to put on it today is this. What, what would you talk to Jesus about if He showed up at your well? Now you say, Brother Monty, I don't have a well. 
but you probably have a deck. What if Jesus comes through your backyard one day and come, climbs up and sits in the chair right next to you? And What's he going to talk to you about? I mean, you don't have to sing just a little talk with Jesus. But you might want to tell him all about your troubles. And I think that if Jesus sat in my porch swing, I have some things in my mind. I was like, I have talked with him about these things, by the way. I have brought them to his attention, not like he didn't already know. But I said, Lord, what is this? Why is this? And how can this? And uh, Lord, I appeal to you, I, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you, what is going on? If Jesus said by your will, what would you talk about? Now, I don't know what you'd talk about, but I know what he and one woman talked about. And so in John chapter 4, and I'm reading out of the King James Version because I like it, and I don't change real rapidly. Uh, so, I'm the last of the dinosaurs. I'm nearly extinct. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs, I love this, he must needs go through Samaria. Well, he didn't want to go through Samaria. And if you were in Israel today, I've been to Israel a number of times. Uh, I had a scheduled group to go next May. I am very pessimistic about that happening right now. But if I was in Israel today, even driving from Galilee area down to, uh, down to Jerusalem, I are going up to Jerusalem. We always go up to Jerusalem. If I was coming from, I would go probably for the most part around this thing called Samaria because it's Palestinian controlled. You would just do that. So today you'd come down the Jordan River, and then you'd make your way the, from, from Jericho up to, uh, up to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is not coming down the traditional way of coming down, let's say, walking the Jordan River. He's not doing that, going down through the valley. He's going through Samaria because he has an appointment in Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. And I'm sure they were all wondering, what in the world is going on? Why are we doing this? Then he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat there on the well, and it was about noon. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Shocker. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. And then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was that said to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Do you think this is a hay moment? Do you think he had her attention? The woman said to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water 
will get thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give unto him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, and I don't want to come to this old well again and drink. Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come here. Boy, didn't the conversation change. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. You've just told me the truth. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Duh. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is there. Notice how she changes the subject. Isn't it amazing how when Jesus comes to us, begins to talk about things in our life, we want to change the subject. And so she changes the subject. And she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither... In this mountain, nor yet in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. You know, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest passages about worship, right here, we're right in the middle of it. He said, the hour comes, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is the Spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I had somebody tell me one time that they said, Where in the world can you find in the Bible that Jesus ever claimed to be the Messiah? Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples. They marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why do you talk to her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, To the men, Oh, she knew a whole lot of men, didn't she? Come see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So that's a long passage of Scripture. But there's a whole lot in that passage of Scripture. So if Jesus came to talk to you, by the way, when Jesus comes, everything changes. Women change. Water changes. Worship changes. When Jesus comes, everything changes. And what would happen if Jesus sat by your well? Perhaps if Jesus came to your well this morning, he would talk to you about your emptiness. Now you say, Brother Monty, I'm not empty, not in the way this woman, but this woman was empty. In spite of the fact that she might have filled her water pot and gone back into town, she was an empty woman. And Jesus, you would say, well, he asked for her 
for water. She's the one that had the water pot. You know, uh, years ago, we, we were down in Senegal on a mission trip, and, and we went into a 100%, it was a 100% Muslim village, and they, we stayed there about three days just telling gospel stories, trying to talk to them about Jesus. They didn't know anything about you. Many of them had never even seen a white man before. And so here we are out here, and they had a well. Everybody in that town gathered at that well. And Mark Myers, who used to be our minister of music, he, uh, early in the morning before the men got up, you'd hear a woman out there at the well, and you would hear this screech, 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 screech. Well, there was a bucket down in the well, and it was on a pulley, and the pulley needed grease. <laughs> it didn't have grease. So she would pull the water pot up out of the well. It was screech, 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 screech. Mark was our minister of music at that time at Concord, and Mark was convinced that they were sharpening their knives out there they were going to cut our heads off it's like relax mark relax this is how jesus dealt with the woman he didn't need a psychiatrist's couch he didn't need a set of analytical questions his his technique is superb and immediately begins to tear down barriers she knew it she's a samaritan She's a woman. She is alone. She is alone for a reason. And I think perhaps at this point, this sharp-witted, sharp-tongued woman is at an end of herself. She really did not want to meet anyone or talk to anyone that day when she made her way, way to the well, and especially she did not want to talk to a Jew who was asking her to drink. Put yourself in the modern context of what is going on in Israel today. So the conversation proceeds from verse 7 to 15, and it changes from the physical water to a spiritual water, and this woman is thirsty, and she never wants to come to this well again, and she is tired, and she is dry, and she has an empty pot, and she is an empty pot. And now you can tell that she's thoroughly confused. When Jesus comes to your well, don't expect... It to go like you have it planned. Because conversations with Jesus don't go that way. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he says, I know that you're a teacher come from God. No man can do the miracles you do except God be with him. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, when did Nicodemus ask any questions about being born again? He didn't ask about being born again. He wasn't even asking how he entered the kingdom of heaven. It's just like when you're talking about Jesus. Jesus cuts right straight to the chase. And as it is with this woman, it's like, give me a drink. How is it that you, who are a Jew, would ask drink of me, who are a Samaritan? The Samaritans have no dealings with the Jew. Woman, if you knew who talked to me, who, who was talking to you, you would ask of him a drink, and I would give you water that you'd never thirst again. And she said, I want this water. I want it. There's a lot of empty people around us. And Jesus came to sit by your well. You might say, well, Lord, we've got a pretty nice well here. Look at this deck. It's made out of treks. It's never going to decay. And Jesus would say, I can give you a life that will never pass away. 
Well, look at this fan, Lord. I got these, I'm outside, but I've still got ceiling fans up here on my well, and it's blowing air around. And look at this big screen TV, and I can, I can look at every, I can watch everything. I can watch Kentucky and Mississippi State tonight, and I can watch Missouri as they stumble and get thumped by Georgia this afternoon. And I don't know what those ugly gay, uh, KU Jaybirds are, who they're playing today. But you know, Lord, I can just watch. I got all these channels and everything. Let me tell you, I can look into your life, and I can see everything that's going on. I'm telling you, I don't know what your deep hurt is today. But if Jesus came to you, he'd talk to you about it. He is the greatest therapist that's ever been. He is so much more than a therapist, but he is the greatest therapist that's ever been. And if your life is empty, if you've run out of water, if you've run out of the resolve to just keep on following after him, then there's nothing like a conversation with Jesus because he deals with our emptiness. When I came to him as a lost young man, college student, at age 18, I was empty. And you know what I've discovered through the years? I have to keep going back to the well. Back to the well. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this concerning water and the grace of God. He says, water removes thirst, and so does the grace of God. Water preserves life, and so does the grace of God. Water cleanses filth, and so does the grace of God. Water softens hard things, and so does the grace of God. Water quenches fire, and so does the grace of God. Water creates springs that come up. Rain falls on the earth, and it bubbles back up out of the earth, and so does the grace of God. Water produces fruit, and so does the grace of God. Water ascends from, it sends back up to heaven, and so does the grace of God, Jesus Christ came to deal with our emptiness with living water. If Jesus sat by your well, he might talk about your... Are you empty? Are you empty? If Jesus came to sit by your well, he might talk to you about your sinfulness. <laughs> oh boy. I, I, I see this in this passage of Scripture, and it's almost funny, because she wants to talk about where they go to worship And Jesus says to her, go call your husband. Did Jesus know? Yeah, you know, he knew exactly. It is amazing when there are things in our lives that we really don't want to deal with that our Lord Jesus will say, okay, I'm I'm taking my divine finger and I'm going to put it on the spot. And you're going to know about it. And that is exactly what he does. He deals with the sin that is in our life. We don't like to do it. We don't like to be caught. We don't like to be confronted. That's not just when the preacher finds somebody. Back years ago when I was a young preacher and I was pastoring at uh, Clarks Creek Baptist Church near Dry Ridge, Kentucky. Dry Ridge, Kentucky is right close to where they found Noah's Ark. Uh, They found it. It was sitting on a ridge about a half mile from where Betty and I first got married, when, where we lived when we first got married, and we didn't even know that thing was there. I guess it was color, covered up with multiflora rose or something and, until somebody cleared off all the brush, and you could see there's the ark. It's just outside of Williamstown, Kentucky. 
So I was at Dry Ridge, and there was a guy that I'd led to Christ, and he'd made a profession of faith. I'd baptized him. I went to visit him one day because he hadn't been coming to church. And when I got down there, he was with a friend at a pickup, standing, leaning against a pickup truck. Why do pickup trucks have beds on them? So men can lean against them. And so there they leaned against the pickup truck, and I got out of the car and started toward them. But I had seen enough to know that, and, and, the, and the rings of the beer bottles sitting on the hood of the truck told the story that those guys, they saw the preacher coming. So they pulled the bottles off of the hood, and they were standing there with them, and I came walking up. They were on the other side of the truck, and I started to walk around. They went to the front of the truck, and I just, we played ring around the pickup truck for just a little bit because suddenly the preacher had caught them. Well, our Lord Jesus has the ability, not in a pickup truck, but in our daily life, to ask some questions about the sinfulness of our lives, just like he did with the woman at the well. If Jesus came to your well, he'd talk about your emptiness. If he came to the well, he'd talk about your sinfulness. The conversation he would have with us might be something like this. What are you doing living together without being married? What do you have in your house? What are you looking at on your computer? Let's just be honest, folks. One of the biggest problems we've got in the church today is pornography. You say, in the church? Yeah, because it is so addictive and it is so convenient. And yet, if you're going to proceed with the Lord, you've got to get that out of your life. You've got to deal with it. Because you're going to find, and I know this, I know it, you're going to find that as a believer, if you're spending your time immersed in things or even casually dealing with things, then the first thing you're going to do every time you pray is you're going to have to start confessing your sin. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me out of this. Before you can pray for your, your wife or your, your husband or before you can pray for your children or before you can pray for anything else, you're just like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I feel so sick about this. How could I be in this place? But there's only one person that can pull you up out of it. It's the same person that says, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more you turn to the Lord, the more you draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh unto thee. The more you do that, the one who comes to the well can deal with your sin. What do you have in your refrigerator? What, what are you doing to your body why do you dress like, you're, like you dress? You say, well, it doesn't matter what people wear. And like, after all, I mean, you know, God's, God's seen us all naked, so it doesn't matter what we wear. Yeah, but other people haven't. So, you all remember Bob Harrington, the chaplain of Bourbon Street? Yeah, he was a pretty good preacher. I heard him preach one time. He said this, I'll never forget it. You know, things like this you remember. He said, the Lord said, let your light shine. He didn't say, let your honey shine. <laughs> now, that stuck with me. That's kind of stuff I remember. It's the way my mind works. But I thought, yeah. Or, or to paint your clothes on your body. I, I read somewhere, Betty told me, that skinny jeans are going out. That that's not long, any longer in style. And I thought, doggone it. I'm so disappointed in that. 
Or what if he said, can I look at your checkbook? How, what are you spending your money on? I mean, what about the stewardship of your life? How about, can I look at your calendar? I was in on a conference call yesterday as I was driving out here with the executive committee, and I was listening to our attorney talk to us. I mean, we always need attorneys. We're always in a mess. And I, and I heard him say, yeah, well, let me tell you what was going on that day that I, I did that. He said, we were on vacation, and, I, and with my family, and my phone was just blowing up, and, and uh, he said, the whole time that I was on vacation with my family, I got to spend 30 minutes at the beach, and I thought, what? I, I felt sorry for him, but I felt sorry for his family. What about your calendar? What's dominating your life? What if Jesus... You and Jesus, it could all just be laid out. There's nothing hidden. That's exactly what was going on in this woman's case. So if Jesus came to your well, would He talk to you about your emptiness? Would He talk to you about your sinfulness? Would He talk to you about your selfishness? Now, you say, Brother Monty, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look at this discussion of worship for just a moment. I know Chick-fil-A is waiting, so hang on. He says this, and she said this in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, behold, the hour comes, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I find this conversation very amazing. But the King of Kings is going to sit by a well with a worldly woman and talk about worship. What condescension on his part to discuss worship with this woman. It seems that she really does get it, and she progresses through it, and she goes from talking about a place, Mount Gerizim, to talking about a person, the Messiah. There's a transformation that takes place. The Samaritans were half-Jews. They were part of the northern ten tribes. If you know your Old Testament history, you know that there was a division in the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You had the southern kingdom, which was two tribes, and the northern kingdom, which was ten tribes. And when they were invaded by the invaders, because that's what invaders do, when the invaders came invading, the group from Assyria carried the ten tribes away to Assyria. Then from uh, Babylon, from... from uh, uh, over there, then in comes Nebuchadnezzar, carries two tribes away, and so everybody is in captivity. You know that. All of Israel was taken into captivity. So while they're in Assyria, the ten tribes intermingle, intermarry with the people that are up there, so that when they come back, they're an intermarried group of people. But the group that went into Babylon, when they come back, they have, those Jews have kept themselves pure. So when they come back and they rebuild the temple, I'm talking about in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the temple so they can worship there in Jerusalem. And the group that is half-breeds, let's put it that way, they want to come and worship there. The people that are pure breeds down there in Jerusalem say, nope, our temple is not for you. You can't come down here and worship anymore. So they built their own temple. Now that's what this woman is coming from. That's where she's coming from. 
So she said, our fathers worshipped. They built a temple on Mount Gerizim that was destroyed in 108 B.C. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But Jesus begins to teach her what is spiritually true. Historically true, she's got the facts. But spiritually true, he has all the facts. It is not about the place of worship. Adam worshipped in a garden. Noah worshipped in an ark. Abraham worshipped under the heavens. Joseph worshipped in Potiphar's house. Moses worshipped in a mountain. Daniel worshipped in a lion's den, by the way. Aaron worshipped in the tabernacle. Joshua worshipped in the middle of the highway. Rahab worshipped in the house of ill repute. And Jonah worshipped in the belly of a great whale. It's not where you worship. Now, it's good because there's a whole lot of guys on opening day of deer season that are going to say, yeah, now, preacher, you can worship anywhere. <laughs> you can, but you won't. <laughs> That's just it. I can worship out of a bass boat. You can. We could go on all day with the places and never name them all, but you must worship. You must worship. The Father seeks such to worship Him. He is a jealous God, and I mean that in the most positive way. It's not about the place of worship. It's not about the style of worship. And this is when I say we get very contrary. And I heard Dr. James Dobson say years ago, the reason they don't ever play, really play music, they didn't play at that time when he was over uh, focus on the family, on their, te- on their radio programs, they didn't play music because he said, nothing is more divisive than music. Everybody has their own style that they like. And that's true in the church. It shouldn't be that way, but it is true. Now, I happen to know what's the best kind of music. I happen to know. I mean, it, there is a reason why, I mean, you know what? The baby boomers, we had the best music. Music that had messages. I went to the desert on a horse with no name. It felt good to be out of the rain. Or Jeremiah was a bull. You get, you get the idea. You get the message in all of that. We get that. We've got the best music. Well, it kind of goes the very same way when we come to church. It's like what David's doing here today. Some people say, ah. I mean, we, we should have sung Holy, Holy, Holy this morning. Well, we did if you'd have been listening. We did. And so we get caught up in style about worship. It's not about the place of worship. It's not about the style of worship. It's about spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Judaism, Jesus was saying, had become a form and festivals and feasts, and yet it was dead until Messiah came. I've got a word for you. It still is. It still is. What needs to happen in Israel today in the midst of all of their conflict is they need to turn to Jesus. Because about 2 to 3 percent of the whole Israeli population are followers of Jesus Christ. They need to turn to Jesus. The Samaritans did not have the truth. They were also dead because if you don't have the truth, it matters not how loud you yell if you don't have the truth. But Jesus said, Spirit and truth. The Samaritan woman prayed a very simple prayer. Sir, give me this water that I will never thirst again. I think this morning if Jesus came to your well, 
Maybe you want to talk to Him about your family. Maybe you want to talk to Him about what's happened in your family. Maybe that's what I'd talk to Him about if He came to my well. Maybe you'd want to talk to Him about the burden. You might want to talk to Him about your health. You might want to talk to Him about your loss. Or you might just want to talk to Him as like, Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to purely worship you. So what would you talk about if Jesus came to your well? I want to ask you to bow your heads. David's coming. Brother Mike is coming. Maybe you want to just come to this altar this morning. I appreciate a church that has a kneeling rail like you all have across the front, but you would like to come and just kneel today at the altar and have a little talk with Jesus. Father, I thank you that we really can tell you all about our troubles. And you will hear our faintest cry and you will answer by and by. And Lord, thank you that we have the privilege to come and talk to you. Cast our cares upon you and our burdens and look to you for strength. Father, speak to this church. Use it in this community. Bring glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name.